Welcome to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. On today's podcast, on eternal truths, Father Peter Armenio, a priest of Opus Dei, reflects on the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. He speaks of the importance of spiritual time management and guides us in our prayer on how to make the most of our limited time here on earth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for as we put ourselves in the presence of Jesus, truly present with us in the Blessed Sacrament, we ask you, Jesus, to help us talk to you about a series of truths that will involve virtually our entire life. But it's a part of our life that will not be spent in this world. These meditations, in many instances, are seasonal, or maybe the better word is liturgical. We're in November, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. The month of November is a sacramental of passing out of this world in tropical rainforests. I don't know if leaves turn yellow and brown and maroon and fall. But here in these northern climates, it happens. Days get shorter. In spite of daylight saving time, they're going to still get shorter. And they'll be more dark than light. And in Chicago, the lights go out on Halloween and usually don't go back on until the middle of April. So we welcome every sunny day, especially today's day. Well, the Lord knew that the Cubs won the World Series and <laughs> wanted to help us celebrate today. And Aristotle, pick any famous person, Shakespeare, Joan of Arc, Plato, St. Francis, St. Catherine. From our perspective, they've been out of here way longer than they've been here on earth. I mean, Francis of Assisi died, I think, before he was 40. So did St. Catherine of Siena. And so they've been spending time in eternity they're heading towards a thousand years. And what's 38 years in comparison to a thousand years? And they, this is just scratching the surface. We're talking about eternity. And plagiarizing another spiritual author, Frank Shee, he says it doesn't make rational sense that we never allude to these eternal truths. What are they? don't want to ruin your evening, uh, but they begin with death. Sorry. 
And as the church teaches us and as the gospel teaches us, there's an exit interview right after that. It's called a particular judgment. You're not done yet. you got to wait until everybody checks out. And then there's a grand finale called the final judgment. I don't know how God's going to pull that off. I don't know how long it's going to take. But when you're God, it's amazing what you could do. So there's a final judgment. That's a truth of faith. It's also revealed. And then there's destination points. There's a detour called purgatory. And November is devoted to praying for the souls in purgatory. November begins with a very strong allusion to Plan A on November 1st, where the whole church thinks about the church in heaven. They may have detoured, but the concentration is on those who did not detour. They went right to heaven. That's why we celebrate all saints. That's the ideal. And the gospel teaches us, and it's reinforced by the Second Vatican Council. It's the big message of St. Jose Maria that the proper way, the normal way to live as a Catholic, live as a Christian, is to pursue holiness. It's to be in plan A. Uh, we can't ignore plan B, which means bad, uh, which is eternal punishment. I wish I could say, well, it doesn't exist. That would be terribly irresponsible, since Jesus himself, according to my book on tape, uh, mentions hell uh, about 15 times, okay? If he's going to mention something a lot, it's that. So we can't just say it doesn't exist. He says it exists. And the positive spin we could give it is that I want to do what I can. Well, I don't want to go there myself, but I want to do what I can to help people make it at least to a detour. I have a sneak suspicion that there's a very high concentration of people in purgatory, very high. Uh, heaven could use a few more people, and hopefully that other place uh, is very sporadically populated, etc. Now, what kind of practical bearing does this have when I am preaching to such young, healthy people? Okay. Well, let's open the gospel. Even though you're young and healthy, and I hope it's God's will that we put off going to the checkout counter as long as possible, eventually, in spite of the healthy food and working out and proper rest and proper this and proper that, um, we're going to go to the checkout counter. And we may arrive at the checkout counter super healthy. Wow. We're going to die in great shape. But... Last time I checked, and we will check out. And, you know, a lot of times we're in denial, and that's fine. It's, you know, it's wholesome denial. Uh, maybe to make conversation, to, you know, alleviate sorrow. How good he looks in, in the casket. Or how good she looks. She looks so much younger than she really is. What a pretty person. 
it's it's a little placebo. It doesn't really cut it, but you know, it's, it's something. And then, and, the, and it's fine. The tendency when we go to awake, you don't go to any of them, you're too young. You'll see in a few years. The tendency is, oh, how unfortunate about George. We got caught by surprise that he got the stroke. Or Jill, I talked to Jill yesterday and she had this aneurysm. Wow, what a surprise. And your feeling is, she's an exception, it'll never happen to me. And what's disconcerting a little bit is, it is going to happen. I don't know, it's going to happen to me too. Everybody who is shocked and surprised and, and feels so bad that this exception to the rule of life has occurred, are all in denial. I'll confess to you, not sacramentally, but I will confess to you that I am in denial. Why? I've never died. Okay? So, if we've never died, we have no frame of reference. We just know that it happens. We don't know what it's like, and our instincts, the way God made us, is that we try to live. And being a follower of Jesus is life on steroids. Maybe that's not the example he wants me to give. But Lord, I'm dealing with a younger generation here. Uh, so I don't... Please look the other way with these unwholesome examples. We do know, now I don't know if you, you're Cubs fans or not, uh, I can't help but become one with all the hoopla. Uh, I was forced to put a little Cubs badge on myself. Someone said that would enhance my pastoral credibility. <laughs> so I put that on. And maybe if St. Paul were living in Chicago at this time during this week, where he says, well, you know, eye has not seen, ear has not heard of what God has in store for those who love him. And maybe he would say, winning the World Series in Chicago is a, a mild frame of reference uh, of what God has in store. A Cubs pep rally and parade uh, are a very slim, very symbolic, very minute taste of what heaven is, if you're that much of a Cub fan. I think St. Paul would say, no, not even that is a frame of reference. So we're invited by our Lord to really look forward to that. I mean, that's what we are aiming at. Even though psychologically we can't imagine it, and maybe even psychologically, hey, it's great, I know that's what we're all after, but you know, let's put it off as long as possible. Why? Because we, we, it's an unknown. We have not experienced it. We believe it. Especially when St. Paul says, you have no idea what it's like. But I think we do. There's a, there, we, we do have a bit of an idea. I could say, I've taken an implicit, subconscious, internal survey 
of joyful people. Not that I'm putting anybody under surveillance and evaluating their joy. I don't do that. But there's a surveillance going on in my subconscious. And I notice virtually the more one follows Christ, the more one is experiencing a tad of heaven here. And I've been fortunate to have been a witness to lots of good example. And it's not people who are generally extremely successful or extremely healthy or exempt from difficulties and problems and tragedies, etc. It's people who have embraced the gospel completely and their joy keeps growing. And St. Josemaria says that this happiness of heaven in a small way, and I would say in a very imperfect way, but a real way, begins here on earth. But there is a help menu for experiencing this happiness on earth, which is a sneak preview of the ultimate. And just for a little perspective, let's read what Jesus has to say about the eternal truth. Okay. He says the following. But he spoke a parable to them, saying, The land of a certain rich man brought forth abundant crops. We're Americans here, but I think we could safely say that this parable is tailor-made for us Americans. It's kind of a miracle that something written 2,000 years ago is tailor-made for us Americans. I would even go tell him I'm an American chauvinist. Uh, even it's more pertinent to us than it was perhaps for the people who read it for the first time. How's that for pride? Nationalistic pride. What? Okay, here goes. But he spoke to them a parable, to, this parable to them saying, the land of a certain rich man brought forth abundant crops. And he began to take thought within himself saying, what shall I do for I have no room to store my crops? Let me just pause for a moment. Focus on a prominent word here. The second prominent word is crops. The first one is the first person pronoun. It's ingenious. The parable is a perfect parable. What shall I do? For I have no room to store my crops. Notice. And he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store up all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, got it, right? So you have many good things laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Since we have no reference of checking out, We've never checked out, so how we, we don't experience it, and when we see it, we psychologically think it's an exception to the rule where it really is the rule. The exception would be not checking out. 
So far, that hasn't happened. Even the Son of God made man checked out, but he rose from the dead. We won't talk too much about his mother, but she went through a dormition, and and then she she left body and soul. But, you know, there's always an exception to billions and billions of people. And I'll say to my soul, you have many good things laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This night do they demand your soul. And the things you have provided, whose will they be? And what do we see here? Bad time management. Very bad time management. And those crops could be anything. It could be grapes. That's, that's crops. I mean, people are really into that. You know, that's, it's become an absolute. You, you ask why, you probably say, I don't know, but it just is. I'll get a better job. Or a salary, or a profession. Or it could be health. It could be a hobby. We won't use baseball as an example here, okay? But, you know, it could be anything but our favorite baseball team. And why is it bad time management? Because this hypothetical person is totally self-absorbed. He's living for himself. It's personal gain. Any way you want. It could be fame, it could be power, it could be looks, it could be money. It could be anything you want. And Jesus says, he doesn't use this word very often. He says, you fool for not thinking about the final quarter. The umpire is going to blow the whistle. And there's no overtime with me, the Lord's saying. This is no overtime. When I blow that whistle, you're out of here. Unless you've had an uh, out-of-body experience. I hear about it, but I haven't met anybody with one. All right? And it re- I, I, re- I recall a number of illustrations of this. Recently ordained, studied in Rome, so had no pastoral experience. Never anointed anybody. And uh, takes a little bit of breaking in. I remember sitting for the first time in the confessional box, praying that no one would go to confession. You know, you're, you think you're scared to go to confession. <laughs> you can imagine, you know, I think I was more scared hearing them at first. And a little scared of visiting dying people. I'm never used to it, but I know the drill. I don't want to be used to it, and I'm not. And I remember returning. I was out of this country for almost four years. And I landed in the center of Oak Bastet in Oak Park. You tell how long ago this was. And this gentleman gives a call. He says, hey, I hear you're the new boy on the block. And he said, no. I have a nephew in the hospital. He's, he's a hockey player. And uh, I would love to connect you to. I'd like him to get spiritual direction from you. 
I said, sure. I'm game. Um, I don't have many clients. I just <laughs> arrived. He said, but he's in the hospital. And uh, he has leukemia. But, and there's no rush. But when do you think you could go? I said, um, truth be told, I was watching a football game. I had watched one for years, for four years. And I said, well, I could do it next Thursday. That'd be great. That doesn't have to be next Thursday. It could be later than that. But just one want to know when you think you can go. So I said, yeah, I'll go Thursday. But my, my boss was a very spontaneous boss. He would, uh, would be, you know, I was really a rookie, and at two in the afternoon he would say, well, listen, uh, tonight go to such and such a place and give a meditation. I said, well, you know, I don't, I'm not prepared. He said, that's why I'm calling you at 2, because it's this evening. You have, so, and, you know, once he gave me a retreat, he said, when does it start? He said, it starts tonight. <laughs> you know, so I, I was all gun shy. I said, well, I said Thursday, but I'm not so sure. Who knows what he's going to do? You know, who knows where he's going to send me? So I said, well, let's just watch this football game, and we'll figure it out after it's over. And I, I was on a little bit of a guilt trip, you know, I watching the game, and I had a few hours. So I said, well, why don't I just go now? And so I went down there, a half hour drive. Talked to the kid, his girlfriend, his girlfriend there. Gave him all the sacraments I could. And he started to say, listen, you know, when you're in this situation at my age, you want to put first things first, and I want to take my faith a lot more seriously. And I said, well, if you don't mind, I could be your coach. He said, you got it. You're my coach. Um, so when you go to the Opus Dei centers, the advice is not all that original. Morning offering, here's the way, mental prayer, read the gospel, you know, offer up your suffering, be nice to people, see you later, all right? So that's the, so you're going to get that, you know. You may get it from a person who says it with levity, someone who says it with seriousness, but you'll, you'll get, the message is always very similar. So I return home, it's fourth quarter now. Guy calls me up and said, uh, you don't have to go. He said, well, he, he says, he's dead. I go, no, he's not. I remember that was kind of, not humorous, but I said, he's, I said, he's not dead. He said, father, he's dead. I said, he's not, let, let, let me tell you, I, I, no, he's not dead because I just, I said, I, I was with him. I, I didn't, I, I went, I, I just got home. I said, so I, you know, I assure you he's not dead. Who told you he was dead? He said, he just died. I said, 
When? Ten minutes ago. And I couldn't believe it. I, I said, but he, he wasn't that sick. He said, Father, he's dead. He, he really was. And wow, that was a um, real eye-opener. Um, kind of st internally staring at our Lord. Hey, you got to be kidding. I mean, there's no overtime. He knows what he's doing. We bow down and say, he knows what he's doing. My first customer, and that's it. I only had one session with my first customer. Our Lord made him check out. But maybe that's why he was my first customer. And our Lord is saying, you, know, you never know when I'm going to call you out. And he's telling us to exercise good time management. And how, what is this good time management? Uh, it's kind of a... Let's use... I'm sorry for using a baseball example. I'll get it out of my system after tonight. But it's a little bit like being a major league baseball player. There's, I know, there's three things. There's one thing is they play well. Okay, the Cubs won the World Series. They played well. Great fielding, great hitting, great pitching, etc. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us definitely it's DNA. No question about it. You know, let's not give them too much credit. It's genetic code. You cannot have that ability. You can't hit a ball going 100 miles an hour uh, just getting up at bat. So there's something on the genetic code. We have something on our genetic code, and it's called holiness. It's there. It's called the heart of Christ. It's called charity. It's revealed that that is our greatest gift we have. And we've, got, we've received that in seedling form in baptism. So... Okay, more baseball analogy. The fact that they could field so well and hit so well is genetic code, but not only genetic code. Most of it, because if it was just genetic code, they'd be in the stands watching the game. It's training and working hard. And, and the working hard is expressed in actual baseball play. The working hard for us is our prayer life. Our prayer life is what gives us the fuel to play the game of love well, play the game of charity well. So that, because what is our Lord looking for? I mean, the expression of our closeness to God is our love for people. St. Maria will say that our love for people is in function of our love for Jesus Christ because the love of Christ, that heart of Christ, comes out of Christ through prayer. We, we, how should I put it? I mean, we become like a magnet or a fuel tank of love when we, we pray. And then we express that in charity. That's equivalent to the play. And our time management will be as good as the love we have for other people. Usually, through our professional work. 
our, we show love for people through our work, through our interactions with them. And the Lord will ask us in this exit interview, he's telling us, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And St. Paul says that time is short. St. Jose Maria says that we don't have enough time to really love as much as we can. Next story. Let me look at my... Well, we got time. we got two minutes. We start late. Okay, we start late. I'm 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 still I'm still a rookie and um, I'm in Rush Hospital as another terminally ill young person. I'm sitting in the room. He's kind of coming in and out of sleep in this big, strong, friendly, but but a type A personality nurse comes in and she says, "You look like you have a lot of time on your hands." I said, well, I'm just waiting for him to wake up. And she said, well, that doesn't make too much sense, does it, Father? I said, you know, you, you, you don't know when he's going to wake up. You, you, why don't you just wake him up? I, go, I, I just don't have the heart. Um, she said, well, if you don't have the heart to wake him up, can I put you to work? I go, sure. So she sends me into another room. And this guy, is uh, he was in one of the gangs. And, you know... Conversation was a little bit rough at the beginning because he, he didn't want me. Either. He didn't want me there. Anyway, to make a long story short, he softened up. He was terminally ill as well. He was an amputee, and I start to. He said, "Yeah, I, I want to come back to. I, I want to make up for lost time." He said, "Okay," and uh, so I gave him. Some books, I gave him Faith Explained, gave him New Testament. And he fell in love with his faith. It's, it's a good story. But he was mad at himself, frustrated with himself. He says, I really blew it. Because I only have, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm dying. And I wish I could have spent more time with this. I said, I wish I would have discovered this before. And he's studying this book called Faith Explained. It's a little bit dated, but it works. And he, I remember, he said, I, I really want to receive the Eucharist. And he, he would, and, but he, not as much as he wanted to. And I remember uh, he was out of the hospital. I went to his house with, with communion. I had someone come with me. Uh, and he's in bed. He's, you know, he's an amputee. Has one, he has one leg, and he's in bed. And I, you know, I'm doing the communion service. And I say, "Behold the Lamb of God." And he jumps out of bed. He jumps. He literally leaps out of bed with one leg and falls right to his face on his face and prostrates himself. And I was, you know, he was so moved by the Eucharist. Uh, his mother's in the room. She's totally stunned. And my buddy who's helping me is starting to cry. And I didn't cry because I couldn't afford to. I mean, I'm trying to conduct this communion ceremony. And, and I tell my buddy, I said, listen, you know, 
let's let's do that later. Right now, we got to let's you know put him back in the bed and and no, 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 come on, come on. And I, he said, well, I said, come on, put him back to bed. And so I give him communion. And in, in a certain sense, I don't want to say more than that is than is reality. But he was kind of giving the message, I wish I could receive the Eucharist every day. This is so special to me that the Eucharist has come to my room. And naively, well, anyway, God microwaved his sanctity. I mean, he started to get transformed real quickly and eventually died at his funeral. But at the wake, I had a long line of, of confession. Of People want to go to confession. And I naively thought, because I was new at this, I naively thought that that's the typical thing that happens when you go to a wake. It never happened to me again. Only one. And so, the attitude we want to have is, well, God has given me this gift of life so that I use it to love him and to really touch as many lives as I can with the witness of Christ's love. That's that's what I want to do with my time. That is good time management. And we are into bad time management because we we don't see loving people, not you personally, but we don't see prayer as useful. All the things that our Lord says is useful, we don't see as useful culturally, as a culture. We don't see spending time with people as useful. We don't see friendship for friendship's sake as useful. There's always a, there's a motive there. And we want to change that. We want to touch as many lives as possible. So when our Lord talks, interviews us, at the end, I could honestly say, well, no, yeah, I'm a sinner. I had my falls. I had my slips. You know, I'm sorry about a lot of things. But for the most part, I try to give you and and people as much charity as I could. And there was a lot of, I, I ran up a lot of deeds of love throughout my life. And that's what we want to do. That's good use of time. And let's ask our Lord, if we're done, that and we, I think probably we're all blessed with a lot of role models of people who have done it right. And let's cultivate a holy jealousy. Well, I want to be that way. I want to formulate a mission statement that love of God through my work, whatever I'm doing, love of others for the sake of Jesus Christ, that has to be my mission statement. I want that to define me. And I want to really be converted to the fact that imbuing, informing my time with deeds of love is the best use of time. Mary did it perfectly. We ask her to assist us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Thank you for listening to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. For more resources and podcasts like this one, go to stjosemaria.org. 
That is saintjosemaria.org.